Finally this hour, in a nation of immigrants, everyone has a story of how they got here. But from a continent of colonial exploitation, where nations and populations have been on the move for centuries, millions of people from today's Africa can be said to be on a journey, from one home to new homes. Scattered families retain the yearning to experience together the traditions they all share from afar. With the ability to communicate globally, many African families retain their contact and stories, even though they are separated by continents. This is the rich and rootless experience of Nigerian and Ghanaian writer Taya Selassie, whose own family is overlaid with journeys and separations and the discovery of new and old homes. Her first novel, Ghana Must Go, explores the lives of the fictional Sai family, a clan led by a Ghanaian doctor named Kweku and his Nigerian-born wife, Fola. Taya explains that this book is in part a celebration of the story every family can tell of how they got to a new land. For this family, for the Sai family, there would probably be two answers to that question. The first is our parents were born smart, capable, and ambitious in countries that at that time could not accommodate such young people. And so perforce they had to leave. But then, of course, where the family ends up in emotional shambles is <laughs> probably more to do with the um, the psychological burdens carried by their parents in that journey than the um, socio-political dynamics that precipitated the journey. Well, the emotional place. shambles, to put it lightly, just to say. <laughs> just um, to be generous. In, in many ways, uh, this story is about the power of patriarchy, of fatherness, mm-hmm. of maleness, to to reach across oceans and time and history, to pull people together for good and for sometimes dreadful reasons. I think um, patriarchy, it's an, it's an interesting and a heavy word. Certainly family and in, and certainly home. So these this family and, and the children in this family particularly are trying desperately to cobble together a sense of home out of very disparate elements. So there's the fact that they've been raised in Brookline, Massachusetts, and they've they've certainly adopted American identities, but their parents are from two different places, and then their parents are in two different places because they split. So patriarchy, it's interesting. I don't think of Kweku as so much of a patriarch as he is a victim in many ways of his own parenting, his own fathering or lack thereof. Yet when he dies, the family understands this is our moment for reuniting. It's the only chance they've got. <laughs> They haven't been all together in the same place in years. Um, Yeah, and in many ways his death does heal the family. And yet there are many stories in this book of individuals who have been scarred by qualities of family back home in the home that uh, people had to leave for one reason or another, which they carry then into their new lands. You know, I think that's true for people in all forms of movement. So – Fola leaves Nigeria because her father is is killed at the beginning of the Biafran War for reasons that have nothing to do with the Biafran War. And in so doing is then sent to Ghana and then to the United States. So that's how she ends up in the United States of America. But her primary scars are not political and they're not historical. As she takes pains Mm -hmm. to note, they're not generic. They belong to her and they are to do with the fact that having had breakfast as the adored daughter of her wealthy father and – dinner as an orphan, she she somehow got unhooked, I think, from the regular emotional attachments that most people experience. And so Fola scars in that regard are 
tied, I think, tenuously to the political moment in which they were inflicted, these wounds, but but are lived out in a purely psychological way. Mm. And I make that distinction just to say I don't think these are the scars of being immigrants, capital I, exclamation after the S, but the scars of being these people. So Fola is completely detached, which then, as you know, allows her to make a decision which has hugely disastrous consequences for her twins. Indeed, which uh, then reinforce some of the scars. And uh, but you are definitely working in the Russian territory. It seems here. (laughs) Totally a Russian novel. (laughs) These deep backgrounds of history are utterly overwhelmed by the internal emotional qualities of the individual characters. That's right. That define them. That define them until they decide that they will no longer. You know, you're speaking, it seems to me, to a community of people, a population of literate diaspora, you know, fascinating, I have to say. And some of the characters reflect this uh, people of, of no place and every place that you are among. And, and it seems to me that you are motivated to really tell the stories of this group that's arrived on the scene in the 21st century. I call them Afropolitans. Afropolitans. Mm -hmm. There we go. Tell their stories, but also tell a story that Africa is not about what you read in the paper at all, that there are distinctions between country to country, city to city, Mm. that you want to create a literature to describe. Oh, yeah. So (laughs) that's sort of the result at the end of it all. Um, Forza. But I think, to be honest with you, I write literature because I love literature. And I think that the the consequences that extend beyond the world of the novel and beyond the project merely of the novelist are wonderful, but they are not primary. And I know that's tricky because I've also written this essay in which I just sort of define the Afropolitan experience, and it's hugely important to me as our representations of Africa. But I think of myself as taking that challenge on in a space other than my fiction. So I'm working on a documentary right now about 20-somethings in Africa. And in that way, I hope to answer that question, what else goes on in Africa other than what we see in Western media? But in the novel, I'm talking about human beings. But in a sense, you're trying to dodge the efforts of all the people around you to categorize you either by nation or by history or by Afropolitan. You're attempting to uh, escape the box. Yeah, because I don't live in a box. <laughs> I mean, the Zadie Smith made, box is out there. No box. <laughs> the Zadie Smith box is out there. That's for sure. That that is for sure. That is for sure. But you know, I said the other day, I when people say things like the African novel to speak of boxes, right, right, right. I always say, you know, I don't really believe in continental literature. I I have said that I think the identity of consequence is the writings and not the writers. I am less interested in where the writer comes from, and I'm always concerned with where the writing comes from. I want to know how it sounds. So what do you make of your relationship to Wole Soyinka, for instance, uh, the voice there? I mean, are you are you a break from the past or are you standing in some sort of tradition? Yeah, I think I'm absolutely standing on the shoulders of my elders insofar as it was only by seeing writers like Wole Soyinka that I had the audacity to imagine that I could be a novelist in the first place. So so that has to be said. My my road to becoming a novelist was in many ways paved and smoothed and gilded by the works of Achebe and Shoyinka and Adichie and Smith and Oyeyemi and Cole. But my sound, my voice, my music, my style, I like to think of it as my own. And I certainly think that this novel 
much more like Shoyinka, for example, than Achebe is just, it's just a lot less polite. It's a lot mm-hmm. less, it's not, it's not really working in what I would describe as the classical tradition. And much more to come? And <laughs> God willing, yes, much yeah. more to come. Well, uh, congratulations and uh, uh, all the best of luck. Taya Selassie is author of the new novel, Ghana Must Go. Thanks so much. Thank you. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.